Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host Jack Perks and this week we're doing something a little bit different. I'm going to be releasing a different podcast each day leading up to October the 24th which is the World Fish Migration Day. Now this is a one-day global celebration to create awareness on the importance of free-flowing rivers and migratory fish. Now if you check out the description there'll be a link for worldfishmigrationday.com. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Matthew Wright. Now that name might ring a bell for you, for people who saw his talk show on Channel 5 for over 18 years, The Right Stuff. He was also on I'm a Celebrity, and he's popped up on all kinds of things over the years. But you might not necessarily associate him with fish, and in particular trout. But Matt is actually the Vice President of the Wild Trout Trust, and is incredibly passionate about fish, rivers, and angling in general. So I wanted to kind of chat a little bit about his role with the Wild Trout Trust, a little bit about his background with rivers and fish, and I can't help but ask him about I'm a Celebrity as well. Well, welcome to the podcast, Matt. Nice to be here, nice to be here. So many people might think, why is Matthew Wright on a, on a wildlife podcast? But we're going, to get, we're going to get to the meat and bones of that. But before we do talk about your, your trouty stuff, I wanted to quickly mention your time on I'm a Celeb. As you had quite a fear of creepy crawlies going in. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, I mean, specifically spiders. And I suppose... Gosh, yeah. Uh, so I suppose uh, a lot of phobias fears if they're not uh, dealt with can develop into other things um with time and uh i'm probably not the first fly fisher to um i've, I've jumped out of my skin occasionally when things uh i don't expect things to be there much 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 better um since uh, i was seven years ago um I, I had, um, what do they call it, uh, neuro-linguistic programming with a shrink uh, intensive, three hours a day, every day, six days a week for two weeks, because they only got about two weeks notice before I was sent off to the jungle. And I said to, to my agent, if I don't do something about this, I'm, I, I don't even know if I will be able to, it, it's too much of a problem up here. So we did this uh, NLP programming, uh, this wonderful shrink, and the last day involved um, him tipping a bucket filled with spiders, including false widows and various other spiders, um, on top of my head. And uh, I went from being uh, very, very afraid to, I mean, I didn't enjoy it, but I, I <laughs> endured it. When I went to the jungle, oh, I haven't told anybody this, the, so you're kept in a sort of waiting room, um, individual hotels, you're not supposed to mix with people. And, uh, and I had a very strict um, uh, chaperone. And everybody else, it turned out, was actually going out and having a nice time in Australia. I was stuck in a room eating horrible, horrible hotel fried food. And um, on the, the last night of this sort of pre-thing lockdown, uh, I was allowed out to have a drink. And I had a lot to drink. Uh, <laughs> I, I was angry. I was pent up. I was thinking this could be my last drink. I had a lot to drink. And when we went into the jungle, the first 24 hours that I was in there was mainly spent thinking, I need to lie down. I need to be sick. I need to stop shaking. And the spider thing was going around and around and around and around in my head. And so I'm very tired, very um, angsty. And the first challenge it was, didn't involve spiders. But once that was over, the relief uh, that I got through the first one, coupled with this programming, and the, the, the crew told me at the end, on the first day, I went, 
over 200 times <laughs> in the course of a day. <clears throat> More than 200 times. On the last day, I didn't do it at all. And, uh, and I'm a much calmer, happier, uh, much happier person as a result. I made a resolution when I left the jungle that I wasn't going to kill a spider. And, uh, and I haven't killed one since. How bad was it then? Was it if you saw a spider, was it any size in the house you'd freak out or was it just the big boys that, that give you the jumps? It was probably, uh, I mean, any spider could, could have an upset. Um, big, big house spiders. I, <laughs> my wife wasn't particularly good either. We found some in the bath and um, we just shut the bathrooms off <laughs> and left them there for two weeks. It's <laughs> one way of dealing with it, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, and then there was a lot of killing in, in my, uh, my, uh, my less uh, progressive years, um, which I regret really, because it's just, it's just a fear. It was, it was, it was, my dad was afraid of spiders. I reckon I picked it up from him and you probably translate lots of other sort of fears and concerns onto spiders and it becomes totally, totally irrational madness, a form of madness. Well, they're, they're great for the house. They eat all the pests. They're very yes. clean, clean animals. And yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's it. Yeah, my my uh, my partner's terrified. She's you know very similar. She, I need to get her on a course actually. But I love them. I leave them in the office. I've got a, a few little friends um, as I look around in, in the office. I don't mind them. They're not not too. I should get some exotic ones really, shouldn't I? Just let them run well, loose. I, I I've got a, a dear friend, uh, uh, and uh, he's he's a, a mad on, on insects. He, he does some wonderful photographs as an amateur. Um, wonderful photographs and. Uh, and we end up talking about spiders. Now, I, I wouldn't want them, I, you know, I'm not saying it, it's, I'm not madly keen on them, but <laughs> I'm not frightened of them anymore. And I can actually see how amazing they are, how beautiful they are, um, how extraordinary they are. And, and that is a massive turnaround from just seeing them as objects to fear. Yeah. One thing I'm always curious is, and it, and it gets brought up every single year with I'm a Celebrity, is how, of the treatment of the animals behind the scenes. And you're obviously in a unique position because you, yeah. you were there. So I just wanted to know with your first hand look, would you say they, they were treated well? You know, what was, cause some of the, the tasks each year get called cruel and with the amount of animals. I and mean, what was, what was your experience of it? Would you say they, they were looked after? So, um, almost all my trials were invertebrate based as I can recall, or things like fish guts and fish eyes where the animal was, no longer with us. I didn't do anything with um with live. I can't. I can't. I don't think. I can't remember. Um, but I don't remember doing anything with live eels or, or fish, which that wouldn't have bothered me at all if I had. Um, it's, I, the invertebrates when you're stuck in a in, in some kind of case with I don't know how many cockroaches or or, or, or mealy bugs they put on you in thousands and thousands. It's inevitable some are going to get um, crushed uh, along the way. Um, not many, because I wasn't you know, stamping them down or anything. They have been um, bred entirely for uh, I'm a celebrity. The rats, I know that uh, I actually, I, I'd never really had close contact with rats before. And what smashing creatures they are. I mean, the ones, again, there's, there's real rats running around underneath your, your bunks in, in the jungle and you really only see them at night and not really during the day. But the rats they put in for, for the tasks are clean i mean they smell they smell like they've been washed in shampoo frankly I mean, <laughs> because i guess they they value the, the the lives of i'm a celebrity contestant slightly more perhaps than, than the animals that are involved from what i saw um everybody they've got animal wranglers there they're all highly professional and expert um 
but I can understand in this uh, in a world where we've become increasingly when people feel that they don't like something and that, that everybody else must comply to their wish um, it gets uh, more and more sort of um, fraught this kind of thing exploiting animals for entertainment uh, but we exploit animals um, in all kinds of other ways as well and uh, for me personally um, as we've already heard, the journey's been a, a good one, really. I, I now like arachnid, so that's a positive experience for my celebrity. Yeah, no, I, I just thought it'd be interesting to talk about. I mean, I know it gets broader, but I don't know what they're going to do this year in, I think they're in Wales, so you know what they're In Wales, to... just leave them, with, leave them with the natives, native Welsh, that would be scary <laughs> enough. <I> should... <laughs> There we go. There's the first, uh, the first complaint we'll get through. No doubt the first of many through this. Um, well, let, let's talk about trout anyway. That's what we're here to talk about. So onto the Wild Trout Trust. How did you get involved with them? So, um, so I've uh, been an angler pretty much all my life. Uh, I started off somewhere from South London and um, we went on a holiday on the Norfolk Broads. Uh, I think I was about eight years old and my dad bought a little rod um, with the little centre pin reel, and uh, I can still remember the first fish caught was an eel, which uh, again kind of freaked me out because I didn't know what eels were at that, that, at that age. But we were we were on the on the trip for a week, and I know that by day three or day four, I was crawling out of the sort of um, cabin at the, at the at the front of the uh, the boat at four or five in the morning. Even then, because you could, I just got it. There's not there was nothing then for me like watching an orange float with a bit of mist coming off the water. You, you put me in that scenario and really from, from that age until um, my late 20s, that was really for me the pleasure of angling. I tried sea fishing, wasn't really for me, it was okay. Um, I tried, I, I became more specialised as everybody did really. I went down the carp route and then sort of veered away from it a bit. Um, really enjoyed the tench fishing down at Oldbury Hill. Crucian carp, which are probably my favourite uh, uh, of the core species, a beautiful fish. Absolutely love them. Um, and uh, and I've always, I, I, from the age of eight onwards, I, I, that's what I did. I, I loved going fishing. As um, career took hold, um, so now we're sort of in the beginning of the 90s, there really, the time to go fishing virtually disappeared. So I, I was going, probably if I got two, two overnight sessions carping in in a year, that would be good. Um, I did have a while for the, when the right stuff started later where, where, where I was fishing in Norfolk a bit more often but broadly speaking in the 90s the fishing went to the wall and and I look back on that that is a, a source of great regret actually um, because I don't think being away from a riverbank or a lake did me uh, did me much good really I think I'm, I, I love it's good for me to be out there in, in the open air um, then there's a weird, weird twist of fate. Um, I was working at the Daily Mirror, had enough, pretty burnt out there, uh, decided to move on and they had a whip round for me and they did really well, uh, about 700 quid. And they went down to Farlow's because they knew I liked fishing and they bought a 700 pound voucher. And when I leave, they give me this voucher. Oh, it's fantastic, but it's for Farlow's. That's fly fishing. I'm course fishing. I'm from Croydon. We don't go fly fishing. It's what poshos do. Well, they said, well, too late now, you got it. You better go and do it. So I went down to Farlow's, um, bought a rod, reel, line, box of flies, book. The first job I got was moving up to Norwich. So I moved up to just outside Swatham and I had quite a big garden up there. And I thought, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply myself to something I've never really wanted to do. I've never had no interest in it. But I'm going to go buy the book. I'm going to, I know it's tricky. I'm going to really focus. And I spent about three months in the garden 
um, just lifting up, laying down, and gradually getting up to false casting and single hauling, eventually double hauling, double hauling in my back garden. And then we're up to Narbra Trout Lakes, which is uh, three or four miles up the road, tied on uh, it's cat's whiskers. I can still remember the flight, tied on a cat's whiskers, cast out nervously, thinking everyone was going to judge me. Cast out, fish came, bang, took it, boom, straight on, and a rainbow trout. I mean, I'd never had a trout on my life. It was electrifying. And I don't think I've been course fishing since, but I've been pike fishing once. So 20 years now have gone by. And uh, someone said it takes 10 years to get over the basics, 10 years to become proficient, and another 10 years to master. So the next 10 years, I'm really hoping, hoping to become um, really, really good at fly fishing. I absolutely love it. It's changed, changed my life in, in ways that I still can't quite believe. And the Wild Trout Trust, that, that sort of became part of it where the, the more interested in, in, in wild trout you become, then the more aware you become of, of the horrible political situation uh, that they find themselves at the very bottom of. And, uh, and I think I'm lucky that having a journalist and an angler, two things come together really well. It's your vice president, aren't you? That's right. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Through John Beer, um, the writer from uh, Trout and Salmon. Salmon Trout. And <laughs> Trout and Salmon, Salmon Trout. And uh, I entered one of the Wild Trout Trust auctions. And um, I love John's writing. Um, I think that's one of the things about uh, fly fishing that separates it perhaps from coarse fishing is there's a whole world of sort of arts around it. Um, yeah, definitely. A, a little bit more uh, developed, perhaps. So I loved his writing, and I thought, what better way to spend a couple of hundred quid than spend the day fishing with um, John Beer? And uh, we went down and met up uh, uh, on the Plym, I think it's Cadover Bridge down in, in Devon. And um, we just clicked like that and just had the most wonderful time, and we thought, really good friends. And uh, he, he was asked to become, a, uh, he's the president, uh, and so I'm, I'm his acolyte. <laughs> so for those that don't know who are the wild trout uh, the wild trout trust then so it's a it's a body dedicated to uh, the restoration and improvement of um, our rivers and waterways and the great learning curve for me has been i was always aware of pollution broadly speaking pollution the kind of pollution we saw in south wales industrial pollution and manchester and merseyside wiping rivers out obvious pollution i've learned a lot more about different kinds of pollution since uh, Maybe we can come back to that. What I, I was very ignorant of was the um, poor management of rivers by man. Um, begun really, I suppose, by Victorians and this desire to sort of enforce man's view on the world over God's, God's view, if we put it in very broad terms. And um, they had this bizarre thing of straightening out rivers. Just, they wanted every river to just be basically pools that they could hold fish in. And take out, they had no interest in, in the well-being of the river or anything inside it. Um, and uh, people like Professor Johnny Gray, who, who you'll know, um, the, with the Wild Trout Trust, you bring in um, serious scientific uh, work from people like like Johnny, combined with um, uh, a degree of muscle and brawn uh, from, from hundreds and hundreds of volunteers. And I think where they've been very, very uh, fortunate is, is in recent years, a lot of rivers that were previously inaccessible have become open to anglers, fly fishers through passport schemes. And that has allowed the different uh, landowners are being uh, are communicating and unifying in ways that hadn't happened before. And more information is disseminating down the line about actually you can 
preserve your land, have less of it wash away. You can have um, better grazing, you can have better everything with a little bit of planning, using more of your head and less of this, um, a lot of effort. And I, I, the, the work that they're doing is just extraordinary, taking out weirs and, and taking these horrible, long Victorian, that's the dog, uh, <laughs> long, horrible sort of Victorian straightness and, and rewilding and putting in bends and restrictions. It's absolutely fantastic. And the fish and the invertebrates respond almost instantly, as you've seen. Because the, the misconception, I think, with a lot of these fish uh, charities is that they're an angling charity. And although a lot of the members are anglers, it's not, they're not really conserving angling. They're conserving the fish themselves and the habitats. And I think that's where uh, maybe other charities like Wildlife Trusts and the RSPB might get a little bit mixed up. That It's not for the fishing. It's for the actual fish themselves. Yes, that's what they're a... trying to do. There are, um, gosh, there's a, there's a real plethora of, uh, of different interested and interesting bodies out there. Um, I suppose the umbrella organisation for fishing bodies is, is the Angling Trust. And they're there, you know, uh, standing up for, for anglers. Um, I think there's because there's other specialist species organisations out, Grayling Society, just to, to, to name but one. And I think that... that, that their focus on individual species is very healthy. The Wild Trout Trust seems to have a reach, um, a more powerful reach, because of just, I think just as you said, you've got anglers, but gosh, it's something about, there's, a, there's quite a lot of people I know who've, their journey through fly fishing, they come out the other end of it and they're, they're less interested in fishing than they are in, leading people into fishing or restoration of riverways uh, uh, and watercourses and um i find that quite fascinating i wouldn't be at all surprised if i end up there myself actually that you, you'll do less and less fishing and do more and more to bring people into it no i would agree with that definitely i've met a few um are you familiar with uh, david miller the artist who uh, does yes. the right one so he, he he still does fish but he's, as he's getting kind of more into it, he's, he'd rather just sit and watch and paint them. And, and like, I mean, I, I still fish a little bit, but I'm getting more to the point where if someone said, do you want to get your snorkel gear on or do you want to pick up a rod? I'm, I'm, I'm leading towards the snorkel gear. No, it depends. If there's a big fish, then sometimes I have to pause, but it kind of gets there. I don't know, it, it affects us all, I suppose. But like you say, with the Wild Trout Trust, although it's called the Wild Trout Trust, the work that they do will obviously benefit a plethora of species. Yes, so, in, indeed. Know. I mean, at, at, the heart, at the heart of it, wild trout like clean water, uh, lots of things like clean water as well. You know, life likes clean, clean water. Um, and when we uh, I mentioned about pollution, uh, yeah, industrial pollution, anyone can get it. You put poisons, you know, actual poisons in a water course and it's going to kill everything in it. And it's heartbreaking still to see massive fish kills, massive fish kills. With the authorities now, they, they seem a little bit more, more on it. I'm more interested now in the... Um, the sort of soft pollution, the, un, the, the less obvious. Um, and I, in one sense, in fact, this is how I got, got into the Wild Trout Trust. It was, there's an experimental body or experimental farm uh, up in um, Leicestershire, um, Loddington, I think it's called. And they run seminars, um, essentially teaching farmers the advantages of light tilling over heavy ploughing and all about basically soil retention, whatever you can do to stop your, your soil washing away. And in the, uh, in the sort of seminar room at this rather lo lovely estate, they have a picture of a, uh, a, valley, uh, a valley in Wales, a little um, small house, farmhouse, and a curved, curved valley down 
convex curve going down to the sea, taken in about the 1960s. And then they have uh, the, same the same angle, same cottage taken in a couple of years ago. And now it's concave. And you look at the, the different profile of, 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 of the hill and you think, it's all just gone straight into the river. And then we wonder why we have massive floods around Gloucestershire and Tewkesbury and all down there. And so I went up to this, this seminar uh, and saw the light really about how changing a change of attitudes could do more to, to just not just benefit trout and rivers and invertebrates, invertebrates, but could also benefit the farmers as well. And they had a one, they, one of the most powerful arguments they, they had at Loddington is they would say to the farmers, any interested farmers, whatever you spend on diesel, um, a red diesel per year plowing your land. If you go to light tilling, you're going to save, and they add some formula, 6,000 a year, 10,000 a year. A critical, you know, significant amounts for farmers. And as soon as they learned there was a cost saving it, bang, they, they buy into it. <laughs> Wonderful. But it's spreading the message. It's getting it out there. Yeah, that's definitely the, the key to it. You, you recently co-hosted co the online AGM for the Wild Trout Trust. How was the response to that? Um, I think it was very good. Um, it's it's kind of difficult to uh, i mean you you've, we, we met at one of these wild trout trust get to we did yeah um a couple of years ago and um <laughs> I, I, coming from us being well i suppose going to the first one I, oh God, five or six years ago i can remember saying to my wife i'm going off to, to spend the weekend talking about trout and rivers and, and waterways. And I think she thought I was absolutely bonkers. <laughs> and yet I came back filled with so many sort of ideas because you see so many different people as historians, uh, wildlife photographers like yourself, uh, scientists, all these different people coming together, sharing their specific skill. And so you might go from soil management to um, the history of a certain fly, to uh, something about the local area in which you're in. Um, I can remember they just saying on peat bogs and managing peat bogs and wonderful, wonderful, fascinating stuff. Um, and uh, so those get togethers are almost exclusively male. Um, I would say there's probably about 100, 150 people maybe at them. And if there's more than three women, I'd, I'd be surprised. Um, the online uh, attempt this year they brought in some really well-made films, um, the Patagonia, uh, the one, wonderful films. So you had high-end TV production, um, coupled with um, uh, activists uh, uh, and high-profile members of the, the World Trout Trust doing their thing and, uh, and doing little films. Uh, and I, I thought it was, I mean, the only, the only reservation or disappointment really is that some of the films that have been given to the Wild Trout Trust were only available for that weekend. And I think it's a real shame that so much effort went into producing seven, I think about seven hours of really good content. It's a great shame that we can't just download it forever because um, it, 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 was, it was a really good programme overall. They have put them on YouTube now. With all the films in there? Yeah, yeah, they're all, um, I, they did it maybe last week or so. Uh, there's like the little tail end of, of yourself and Sean Leonard introducing them um and now yeah i think they're all they're all available excellent. online yeah so your wish has come true matt excellent excellent <laughs> that's youtube the wild west of copyright <laughs> yeah 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 oh yeah it's, it's but yeah but it was amazing because i was able to watch that and the one that really caught my eye was john beer mentioning about lake uh, lake trout spawning or yes. brown trout yes. that spawn in lakes and that really caught me off guard because i was like well hang on a minute this field guide says they don't do that and then listening to john that, there's no, no doubt they, they do no it, doubt. 
you know, and the, the trout hasn't read the field guide. He doesn't know he's not meant to spawn in a lake. And they do. And then the, the real thing at the end was when he said potentially about these Baltic sea trout, which might be breeding in the sea. Yes. Which is crazy. Absolutely yes. crazy. So, it, you know. It, it goes to show how, how little we know. And I think that's one of the reasons that we need um, groups like the Wild Trout Trust and Salmon and Trout Conservation UK um, to stand up and, and shout because yeah, everyone's interested in space exploration, flying, and da da da. Like when I watch programs like Country File, with the, with the exception of when you 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 and the <laughs> on, it's nearly always in. bloody birds. Yeah. I mean, birds are wonderful, but there's so many other wonderful creatures as well. And I just feel that um, as soon as it goes below the surface, it gets forgotten about because very few people, very few people indeed, uh, get an opportunity or make the effort to go under the surface like you do, and uh, myself included. I've I've swum in the in the river us and had either a sea trout or a salmon go past me and nearly jumped out of my skin. It's <laughs> absolutely huge. But I've, to see, I mean, yeah, when people think about, I, don't know, I think when you talk about fish photography, you immediately think of sort of exotic barrier reefs, really. And what you have demonstrated is, you don't know, you have to go to, a, to, a, to any river in this country. It's just astonishing how close you can get and how beautiful they look. We're just I love it. We're just scratching the surface, really, aren't we? There's there's so much still that we don't yes. know, and um, I mean, even like some of the general course fish you were talking about, barely any of them have been ever filmed spawning or just basic yes. behaviours, and we we've not really filmed it or done it to a to a high standard, which is something I'm slowly trying to trying to get my way through, but we'll, I'll get there eventually. Um, well, I think you're doing great guns, great guns. Oh, that cheers. Well, I'm going to end on this last question, man, anyway, which is you're, you're a big believer in the benefits of angling, helping mental health, aren't you? Yeah. So I just wanted you to kind of explain a little bit more about that. So I suppose, um, God, yeah, so it's a, it's a huge subject and I, and I don't yeah. like to <laughs> pass myself off as an expert. I can just relay personal experiences. So I, I have... I've had two friends who are um, severely bipolar and one of them killed himself and the other one's in and out of hospital uh, quite a lot. And I haven't had, and I don't have what they have, and I'm not saying that fishing would help either of them. Maybe, it can help everybody to some degree just being outside. But I've, I've suffered specifically after, after my friend's suicide and various other uh, sort of traumas coming together. Um, the first symptom was uh, really bad insomnia. Uh, so we're talking about three years ago and I rarely sleep through the night even now but prior to the insomnia starting my entire life I've never had a problem sleeping. I used eight hours a night every night all the way through the TV career early mornings never a problem now if I can get four hours in I'll be amazed and um, you start off thinking you're losing your mind really because you think how can I function I've only had three hours sleep every day for two weeks how am I and then you realise actually you're not functioning very well <laughs> because you've only had three hours sleep. You are, you are, um, I see. I, 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 I'd, I'd, it was a union building, Unison. It had a poster in it. It, 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 mood, it was just a cartoon. It had things like mood swings, uh, insomnia, um, various other bits. And I was reading this and I think, oh, yeah, that's me. Every one of the things. I, I, um, so I went to see the doctor with the insomnia, and uh, and she diagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder and said. Um, uh, there is no shortcut out of this. I think PTSD, yeah, I know people have gone to Iraq and Afghanistan. She said, it doesn't matter if you've been subjected to a level of stress that you can no longer cope with, you will start demonstrating symptoms. And um, one of the 
the negative one of the symptoms i had is i didn't want to go out anymore so um so uh i wasn't going fishing um i stopped exercising um and i keep saying to people i'm not out of the woods yet i haven't restarted exercising and i i'm still mm, quite keen on staying indoors but i have made uh since lockdown came down at the beginning of july really end of june um i've made a real attempt to to go out with my wife's encouragement and uh and I've, I've already, she said straight away, you could see the benefits because instead of basically sitting at home, there's only so far you can walk around for exercise indoors. And I, instead I was going out and doing maybe I don't know, two miles, clambering over rocks and just the physical exercise is good. I think there's a, people laugh at me. I think getting hands, dirty earth, mud, trees, stuff like that connects us. Um, and in, I think it's really, really important. When the more isolated you become from it, if you are having problems, the more vulnerable to the problems you become. That's what I, I guess I'm saying. So if you haven't got problems, it's not an issue. But if you have got problems, I think going out, uh, sometimes you come even on your own and just having a change of scene, refocusing the mind instead of your mind going around worrying about this and that all the time. I could just go fishing and all I'd think about was fishing. And that in itself gave my brain a holiday. And um, I really wish the season hadn't come to a close because uh, I'm going to go out and do a bit of grading fishing and keep, keep, keep it going because um, it's easy to say, oh, it's good for your mental health, but actually doing it and improving the mental health is, what I'm, is where I'm at really right now. I want to do it for me and for my family and sort of get back to being a little bit more uh, normal, whatever that means. <laughs> so I feel a bit more like I used to. There's a great term I come across called nature bathing. And I think that describes it quite nicely, just where... You, you go outdoors and you breathe it all in, the, 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 the wind on your face, the smell of the, yeah. the grass, the, the temperature difference, the, the vitamin D from the sun and all that. It definitely makes you feel better. And, and I think as you described there, fishing, um, if you, whether it's depression, whether it's, you know, whatever might, might be an issue for you, it takes your mind off it, even if it's just for a couple of, I, I don't, it's very rare that I'll fish all day. I don't normally get the chance, but I'll, I might sneak an hour or two away and it makes a hell of a difference just to recharge the batteries, yes. whatever's bothering you. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that, uh, I mean, it might be bird watching for someone else or, or whatever. Absolutely. But, but you know, but it's, fishing. It's, it's, it's making the effort, I think. And yeah. uh, for me, for me, it's, it's a connection. It's just a case of, um, of a little nudge sometimes to get out. And I think um, um, the Fishing for Schools programme, uh, which again is sort of falter because of, of, of coronavirus, um, I was hearing wonderful stories there about you know, kids that were sort of lost and the school had virtually given up on them. And you take them out of the school environment, put them in a, a nature environment, give them a fishing rod, and, and suddenly that they're, they're, you know, they're catching fish and, and that makes them feel like success. You know, they're being successful, not losers. And amazing turnarounds just from connecting to, 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 to something other than the thing that makes you miserable, I suppose. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. It can be a really powerful tool. And uh, I can hear the baby yeah. blowing her whistle. <laughs> I did wonder what that was. I thought, oh, Matthew, you don't sound very well. Like You shouldn't be making that noise. <laughs> That's not I'm good. Not... <laughs> I'm not wheezing. <laughs> oh, good, 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 good. I was going to say, like, your mental health's getting better, but <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> your lungs are fucked. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I yeah. just, I, I can't, um, and I think back on it. I, 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 how little I, I, 
how immediately I stopped going out. And that was one of the first things that my wife said, you know, from being out fishing twice a week, I'd used to go all the way through the season, twice a week to barely going out twice in a season. That was uh, in uh, 20, 2018, just, yeah. just a gone. Um, yeah, it's weird. I, don't, I wonder if there's a name for it, because I, I kind of get that sometimes with my photography where I know I should go out because the weather looks good or there's, there's whatever, yeah. but just can't be bothered i don't know it's a weird i suppose you might call it depression i think that sounds a bit maybe yeah i don't know but yeah i think it's, it does help if you've got someone i say you can do it on your own if you're if you're willing to do that but even if it's just someone saying i'll come out with you or you know let's do that it does it definitely yeah. helps it's it's powerful I'll, yeah. I'll, do, I'll do a little bit of name dropping because um <laughs> we, we've we, we mentioned uh sean leonard from the wild trout trust uh john beer guy called John Slader who's a wonderful guide and uh, an activist in many ways he, he's been my sort of mentor pushing me forward and most recently uh, Fergal Sharkey um, who I, yeah. I now work with um, yeah, he's come on the podcast he's been on and, and um, those people in particular uh, have made a real effort at sort of um, just uh, a light touch interest in how I'm getting along and uh, like true friends I'm very very grateful very grateful <laughs> Yeah, that's all you need sometimes, isn't it? Just that little nudge yeah. just to, to yeah. get you in get you in gear. Well, look, Matt, it's been absolutely fascinating chatting yes, about yes. fish. And, uh, you know, I don't need much excuse to talk about fish for half an hour or so, but it's been great to have you on. And I'm sure our paths will cross at some point. I hope so. I'm still, I haven't got a wetsuit, but there is a, there is a, because of that usk and the, the trout, the sea, the sea trout or salmon that went underneath me, I've always thought, God, it would be fascinating to see them uh, at water level. And your films have sort of, further enthused me it's just a you're still saying when i see the films of you getting ready in your wetsuit and you're still standing next to some sort of fairly dim looking british river and you think he's mad as a fish isn't he that jet folks but it, it's it's wonderful work you do and I, I absolutely love it absolutely love it oh cheers thanks for that <laughs> well, look, i'll uh, i'll catch you soon see you then jack take care that was Matthew Wright, obviously loving being part of the Wild Trout Trust. Now, if you want to find out more about them, you can visit their website, which is www.wildtrout.org. Now, don't forget, on the 24th of October is World Fish Migration Day. And leading up to that and on the day, there's going to be loads of fishy-related content from all over the world. Now, you're best positioned to see this from the World Fish Migration Day website, or of course, you can follow them on Twitter and Facebook on worldfishmigrationday.com. That'll have all the relative links. Now, my guest tomorrow is, is actually me. So I recorded this podcast a while ago, and I've actually brought it forward. It was meant to be coming out later because Polly Puller, who was previous guest on the podcast, asked me if she could interview me uh, about questions to do with the work I do. So I promise you, I didn't ask her to interview me. She asked to interview me about some of my fishy work and, and the stuff that I do. So tomorrow is is me, basically. As Polly talks about uh, my freshwater fish work and, and career as a, as a wildlife photographer, really. And the following day, because that one won't have a tag for World Fish Migration Day, the following day after that, it is Adrian Pinder, who is going to be talking about the Marcia and the Marcia Trust, which are fascinating fish. So looking at river conservation further afield, not just in the UK. Anyway, I hope, I'm, I hope you're all enjoying 
these kind of quick podcasts throughout the week. Obviously, I wouldn't be able to keep this up all the time, but I'm enjoying doing these little mini ones and, and seeing how people are, are liking them. This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll see you tomorrow. Cheers. <laughs>